Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're joined in uh, this portion of our program on The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and Sports Radio 1019. I'm Bob Solter. Welcome to our program. Yes, yes. In this portion of our uh, program, we move into a discussion that, well, it should be an interesting one, uh, especially, I will say, for those of you who have some, uh, how can I phrase this, fear, you kind of get nervous just hearing the word math mentioned. Hmm. Now you're going to think to yourself, where on earth is he going with this? Well, the guest who is joining us on our program has quite an interesting background. Her name is Olivia LaPont, and Olivia is joining us by phone on our program. She's an author, a TED speaker, and a rocket scientist, and she is going to share with us in our discussion. Um, among the things that she has authored is a book entitled Mathophobia. Uh, she also had authored a book entitled Answers Unleashed, both very interesting titles, Olympia, first of all, welcome to our program on The Fan. Good morning. Thank you so much. It's my honor to be on your show. There's a lot to get into in uh, this discussion, but, uh, you know, I mentioned in introducing you that you worked in this field of rocket science. Now, a lot of people do all kinds of jokes about people being rocket scientists and the like, but you actually fall in that category. How can you describe for a layperson, what it's like to work in the field? Oh, my gosh. Um, that's an excellent, excellent question. Uh, I am very fortunate. I had the opportunity to work uh, and launch, help launch 28 missions to space of the space shuttle main engine and the space shuttle program. And so that included a Discovery Atlantis Endeavor and Columbia space shuttles, and I was very thankful for that opportunity. Uh, and every single day was a challenge. Uh, but it was so fascinating because it wasn't necessarily overwhelming. What it was is we had to be a specialist in certain areas, and together, when we came together sharing that information, that's when uh, we were able to create great rockets and safe travel for the astronauts. Uh, for my particular role, I use mathematics and science to calculate the probability of catastrophic explosions within the space shuttle's flight. Uh, it, it was quite fascinating because I had to look in the future before it would happen and do everything I could to prevent explosions from happening, the uncontained type of explosions that would lead to a loss of a life or uh, anything detrimental happening to the payload. And I found myself having to communicate a future, not only the science behind what I was doing, but a future that would exist if we did not go through the steps to mitigate 
and change the potential risks that were involved. And I'm very thankful that I had a, a great team of people working with me. But we all had our particular pieces. Uh, I had the mathematics piece and the what we call the reliability engineering and system safety piece. I looked at and verified that there was going to be a safe test as well as a safe launch, looking at all the different type of ducts and lines and, and welds and the pressures and temperatures and vibrations. But there were other people that did different things. There were uh, turbo pump specialists that looked at how to create blades in a way that would turn hot um, hydrogen and hot um, oxygen in such a strong, powerful way that it could it could release. To give an example of how powerful these pumps were, it were it was so powerful that an Olympic-sized swimming pool could be emptied by one engine in less than five seconds. That's how powerful these were. And there were other people who were had had great insight on how to cook metals together to make sure that there was not going to be uh, a metal type of meltdown with such high temperatures and pressures. And we had combustion specialists that knew exactly how the the gases were going to swirl inside to make sure that there wasn't going to be overpressurization. So we had each of our specialties that we brought to the table. And when we worked together in a way that allowed us to see all the potential risks, that's when we were able to create uh, such an amazing program. You know, we, in many cases, I've said before on this program, when we've touched upon this, in many cases, I think those of us in the baby boom generation almost came to take the space program for granted. And, you know, you really do stop and think about the wonder that it is. And you also realize all these things that we have, that we use realistically on a daily basis, that can be directly tied to the fact that we explored space and, you know, as a result of the exploration of space, a lot of products, a lot of innovations were made in terms of technology and actual physical products that otherwise might never have happened. You're right. It's opened You're, a whole new world. It is. It has. Uh, it is amazing. When we look at the background of our space race, uh, originally Russia... Uh, launched Sputnik, and that was the beginning of the push in the United States to actually create a way for us to uh, be in advanced technology uh, to compete. The whole goal back in the uh, 60s was to get to the moon first because that was a military strategy. And the movie Hidden Figures, when it came out, and so many millions of people across the United States had the opportunity to watch that movie, uh, that's what it focused on. And when we saw the importance of the space race told through the true life story of Katherine Johnson, the person that was in the movie, I, when I watched that, I realized that my life was exactly like Katherine Johnson's. And not only that, the technology that we launched 
and the technology that we used back then had only advanced in a way that was so powerful to how we're using it today that people, like you said, may not be aware of how valuable we have our technology advanced because of the launches. Uh, for example, the payload that the space shuttle program brought up were satellites. Now, a lot of people may not know that, but in 2011 is when the space shuttle program retired. It was the equivalent of retiring a, if you will, like a, a 1979 Honda Civic from the road when there are like, <laughs> when there are like, what, what year is this, 2017? When is 2017? So that's the type of technology that we were retiring because literally it was older technology. But what we launched were the satellites that allows everyone to use cell phones. People mm -hmm. do not realize that their ability to talk with an individual at any place or location or get on the Internet at various locations is due to the fact that we launched satellites in the late 90s that allowed us to do this, and that was through the Space Shuttle Program. And we have a lot of different uh, uh, basic, this might sound strange, cooking ware that's used from the type of a metal that was found by uh, developing the right combination to make sure that when the space shuttle came back into the atmosphere, that it wouldn't melt. I mean, this is just this is what we looked at. So that same type of technology is used across the board within plastics, within um, within type of uh, heat uh, transfer that allows. Um, things to stay cool. Um, these are the type of uh, technologies that we have, but mainly I, I, love, I, I, I love asking my students, I, I'm a mathematics professor, and I ask them, do you know about, do you know about Challenger? Do you know about the, this? Do you know about that? And I ask them questions about the technology, and it is an opportunity for us to be able to share how important the science and mathematics is to developing not only what we have right now, but developing a future in the way of how we can use this. Uh, for example, computer code. Computer code uses all mathematics. That's the same type of computer code that's built on communicating groups of people in large masses over the Internet. So I'm really excited to be able to share how this mathematics and science is being used. How do the students respond when you ask them that? <laughs> They're intrigued. They are intrigued. Uh, many students actually do not understand the importance of how mathematics is used. Uh, nine out of ten students actually uh, find themselves scared of mathematics, and they ne don't necessarily know what it represents. And that's a part of our educational system here in the United States, which is completely the opposite of other countries, by the way. So when I ask them the question of, do you know how it's used here? And do you know why we would want to look at an inverse function? And do you know how you can backtrack and see how an explosion, where it started from using an inverse, inverse function? That when I introduce that in such a way where people understand that the mathematics is real, that it's representing a, a real-life scenario that is happening. When the mathematics becomes real, they see it as a language to represent how to predict the future. Liftoff. Liftoff of the 25th Space Shuttle mission, and it has cleared the tower. Roll program confirmed. Challenger now heading 
downrange. Engine's beginning throttling down now at 94%. Normal throttles uh, from the flight, 104%. Throttle down to uh, 65% shortly. Engines at 65%. Three engines uh, running normally. Three good fuel cells. Three good APUs. Velocity 2,257 feet per second. Altitude 4.3 nautical miles. Downrange distance 3 nautical miles. Engines throttling up. Three engines now at 104%. Challenger, go with throttle up. Challenger, go with throttle up. Flight controllers here looking very carefully at the situation. Obviously a major malfunction. We've really just begun our discussion with Olympia LaPont. She's with us in the 6 o'clock hour of our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. Very interesting discussion that we are having on our program on The Fan with Olympia LaPont. She's a, a rocket scientist, an author, and a TED speaker, and she's joined us on our program. There are so many different areas where we can go in this discussion. I've got to follow up on something because, you know, you talk about working in the field of rocket science and working with NASA and um, all the different missions that there were. A natural question based on the field that you've worked on, too, takes us back into a period of time back in the 1980s. And if I remember this correctly, I think the year was 1986 with the uh, Space Shuttle Challenger explosion. Uh, truly an awful day. When we think back to that tragedy and those of us who were alive at the time remember exactly where we were yes yes and we remember how riveted we were to various media accounts and this was in the day and age before everybody was walking around with handheld cell phones <laughs> um, and the ability to go online and create their own news sources, basically. You know, they had to do the old school approach of going and actually turning on a television uh, if they wanted it, or turn on the radio to get, hopefully get immediate information. But a lot of people went to television. And those pictures are almost like they're frozen in our minds. Mm. I think of that, and as I'm listening to you, I think also of the miracle, and I will say miracle, it was that that did not stop space exploration mm. with the Challenger program. I think that's a tribute to the program itself. Yes, it is a miracle, and it is a miracle each time that that engine and that program launched successfully. Literally, it was a miracle every single time because everything had to work together in clockwork. Uh, when Challenger happened, it was January 28th, 1986. That's right. And I, was, I wrote about this on the Huffington Post, and I'm very happy you bring this up because a lot of the newer generation may not know this, and some of the older generation knows it, and it is burnt in their memory. And, and I am in the between both generations. And so I was nine years old, and I remember uh, the scenario that happened with that, and I remember that there was a teacher 
that was being trained to be an astronaut to go into space with the other astronauts, and she was selected out of thousands of teachers that applied. And this was the day in which the space shuttle program was launching her as as well as the other astronauts into space for a special project. Now, in the middle of that, unfortunately, there was a big, big issue. Uh, And I write about this, and I studied this as I was becoming a rocket scientist, I wanted to make sure that that event would never, ever, ever happen again under my watch. And and that's how seriously I took it. And what happened that particular day, without going into as much detail as I write in the article, uh, what happened is that they launched the vehicle, despite it being very cold weather. And Unfortunately, the O-ring that held the solid rocket booster in place warped and tilted, and upon uh, the solid rocket booster on the side, they're like the I call them the big firecrackers. That once you light them, they they you can't turn them off, but they eventually extinguish themselves. But you light these solid rocket boosters, and the O-ring inside of it tilted, and when it tilted, it caused a structural integrity issue within it, and it caused the rocket. Uh, to go at an angle to pierce the external tank, which was basically, if you look at it, it's like the gas tank. It had the the um, oxygen as well as the hydrogen in it. And upon ignition, those elements ignite into flames. And what happened is that when that tilted, uh, the entire space shuttle exploded, and the space shuttle, uh, the crew, their capsule ejected, it went and it hit into the ocean and it cracked open like an egg and the astronauts ended up drowning if they were not already uh, consumed by the impact itself. And so when I saw that, I saw that when I was nine years old and I saw it on TV and I saw the technology of it and I saw the science of it. And I remember just at my young age praying I remember praying, thinking, I pray that this never, ever happens again. There needs to be someone out there that makes sure this doesn't happen. Now, I had no idea I was going to be that person. (laughs) (laughs) You answered your own prayers, huh? And and it's it's hilarious. Gandhi has this quote. He says, you must be the change that you wish to see in the world. Well, I was just so taken by that. And I had already, would, a couple of years earlier, I went to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL, in California here. And I saw jet engines. And I when I was six, I said I wanted to be a rocket scientist. But I did not realize until that Challenger explosion when I was nine years old that I was going to go specifically into the reliability and system safety branch of rocket science. And literally, I was the one, as well as my team, that I had a great team of people working with me in doing so. I was the one signing off on engine tests to verify that that was not going to happen again. And I, looking back, I, it blows my mind to know that I w- eventually went into that field. But that Challenger explosion was so monumental to me because it carved the way for me to see how important it is for us to launch technology in a safe way, but not only that, use technology responsibly so we can create the next generation to be able to solve problems in that way. That's a lot of responsibility in a job like that. 
It was. And there were nights in which I stayed up thinking, how can problems be solved? It was very stressful. But each day of going into work, it was a choice. And it was a choice of how can I be of help? How can I be of service? How can I use my brain and my thoughts to create solutions that will help people? That's Mm. how I thought about it. When I say the word success to you, what do you think of? Connection. Connection. When I hear the word success, I think about connecting, connecting the dots, connecting people, connecting ideas. I think so often things in this life are so separate that we don't see the big picture. And when we connect the dots, that's when we're able to take a step back and see how beautiful life is. So success to me is being able to connect experiences, connect history, connect technology, connect knowledge, connect people to create a successful big picture view so someone knows the purpose of their life. And when was it in your life that basically you knew you had turned that corner towards success? Oh, I never have. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm bump, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, people always have goals. People always have goals, but we are always in life. We are each moment is a success. Each moment that we're alive, each challenge that we go through is a success. There's never, to me, there's never ever one really big success ever. ever. There's like, yes, I did it. Yes, I was able to to solve this. Like, ha. Ah. But <laughs> that's all I get when I, I'm excited that I have a, a, a solution in hand. Uh, but success to me is continuously working, not giving up. Keep going. No matter if you fail, no matter if you've made mistakes, no matter if you have a difficult situation, it's never giving up and being persistent. That to me is success, but it is connecting yourself to your future. And it is a continuous mind frame to get that done. When you think of the field in which you are working, you know, this STEM field, it's referred to as science, technology, engineering, and mathematics field. As a woman working in the field, what was that like? And then the other question is, why do you think it was that there were so many men in the field as opposed to women? Mm. Uh, I remember being recruited on this top project. Um, I I was very fortunate. I won several awards as an engineer, and one of them was the Modern Day Technology Leader Award, which is part of the Engineer of the Year Award. I I may have been anywhere between 21 and 23 when that happened. That's that's the, how I um, was able to apply this knowledge, and I was recruited onto this particular program. And it was a design review where we were creating uh, the design for an advanced rocket engine that no one had ever seen before. And I walked into the room, and I looked around. There were 200 people there, and I was the only woman. Mm. And I, I would be not telling you the truth 
if I said I was completely confident the entire time. I second-guessed myself. I wondered if I knew as much information as the other people. And, and no one knows anything. All, no one knows everything, and no one knows uh, how things are all going to work together. That's why how people, that's the reason why it's so important that people actually work together. But uh, I found it very challenging because I realized men communicated in a completely different way that women communicated. And I not only had to understand the science, I had to learn a way that I could be uh, heard in a way where the science and the information that I brought to the table would not be excused simply because I looked different or sounded different than everyone else. And it was a mental challenge, not only with the developing the science, it was a mental challenge of analyzing and understanding a different way in which a group would communicate and, and, allowing myself to be seen as a unique person who could bring information to the table and and find a way for everyone to respect, understand, and know each other so the data and the information and the science could be completely respected. Uh, for me, uh, the second day of when I was working at the company, I had such a most peculiar experience, and I didn't necessarily know what to think about it. I remember uh, walking in one of the, down one of the hallways, and this man came up to me, and he kind of circled me as if I was a museum piece. And I must tell the, the ending of the story before anything else. He came, and he ended up being one of my biggest supporters, opening up doors for me and helping me in a gigantic career way. So he was very supportive. But the the, sec, the second day that I was at work, he came and he circled around me because I, he kind of looked at me like a museum piece. But he had never seen a woman work on the floor in 15 years. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, this guy is weird. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, okay, why is this guy staring at me like this? And uh, he walked off. He didn't even say hello. And I thought to myself, who was that? And there was a couple of women that came and saw that, and they pulled me to the restroom, and they said, oh, you don't know us, but we are administrative assistants, and we work for a couple of the uh, executives, and we saw what happened, and we just want to let you know that he's one of the nice guys. And I'm like, huh? And, and they said, they, everyone here is ma mainly nice, but they're not familiar with wor necessarily working with women. Mm. And she said, and there are just a couple not everybody, but there's just a couple of men that are not used to that and they prefer working with men. So what they'll do to some women is that they'll try and push their emotional buttons to say, look, she can't handle it. They said, if any time that happens, just pull us into the restroom and we'll talk it over. But no matter what, never let them see you cry. Olympia LaPointe is talking with us on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. Olympia LaPont is talking with us on our program on The Fan, Sports Radio 66, Sports Radio 1019. I'm Bob Salter, and she is uh, sharing information with us. We've been dabbling a little bit into the topic of success. Um, interesting background that she has as an author, a TED speaker, a rocket scientist. Shared so many different things with us this far in our discussion. And one of the things I wanted to do, it kind of follows on a point that you just made a couple moments ago. And that is in this area of um, 
I guess in a way, mentoring, you know, as you mentioned, you also uh, are a mathematics professor. What do you say about this term of success and I guess how it is that one can balance the drive for success with the setbacks that we all experience in our lives when you are delivering that message to young people today? Hmm. There's a branch of mathematics called chaos theory. And in that branch of mathematics, it says that there's two end states. There's either a place in which you or anything will go in to and will get stuck. And then there's the other place that things will go into and then they explode and ignite and excel to the next place. So there's literally two places that exist in the universe, places where things get stuck and things, places where you go to them and then it excels you to the next place. We use this type of mathematics to launch to Mars. For example, there's no way we could get to Mars on a tank of gas. <laughs> yeah, that would be a little bit difficult. Yeah. Especially we, if we were in that 79 Honda. Yes, yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. There's no way to do that. So what you have to do is you have to find these points in space so you find a way to accelerate to your next point so you're not using your gas. That's basically how we get to Mars. But in that type of thinking, that's chaos thinking, chaos thinking, that's chaos theory mathematics thinking, meaning there's things that work together with good things and bad things, if you will, that work together to get you close to where it is that you need to go. And once you're really close to it, you have no other choice but to go on that path. When success happens in your life, and, and, and I really want to share this with your audience, it is never always going to be 100% A to B to success. There will be always setbacks in the middle of your success, meaning there will always be a path that you will take towards a place in which will accelerate you to the next location. But there has to be crooks and turns in this pathway because it's never straight. And that's what the chaos theory mathematics shows us. There's no way that someone can always 100% succeed in everything. That would be going in a straight line. And the only thing that goes in a straight line is light. Mm. And we can't travel at the speed of light. No. No. So things happen for a reason. And it will never be a straight path to where you intend to go. But the key thing is that you have to envision it. Uh, I write in my second book that's coming out in August, Answers Unleashed. And I have actually an online platform for people to find out all about how to use the brain and their brain power in doing this. I, I define what the tree of brain is. 
And the tree brain, it's a three-sided brain that actually unleashes its power. And when people understand how to use the three sides of their brain, that's when they really become powerful and successful in life. And the three sides of the brain is the left side, which is the logical side, which is the scientific side that you launch things with. There is the feeling creative side, which is the right side of the brain that you uh, decide and become passionate about doing something. And then there's the center that no one has ever defined yet, uh, and that's why I bring this to the table. I have discovered the third side of the brain is the connection, which connects the left side and the right side together, as well as connects the brain to the rest of the body through the nervous system. That's the third part of the brain. And this part of the brain I saw beautifully working. When I saw and worked with scientists who were innovating new technology, they had to see the technology being created in their brain first before it ever happened in real life. They had to envision a future and make it exist with the science that exists today. So the ability to set an intention out is our gift that we have been given in this chaos thinking. Is Our faith sector of the third side of the brain allows us to be able to set an intention, set a way that we are going to create a future that exists in our brain, but our job is to bring it into reality, which is right here and right now. All right, then... Based on what you've just said, and you've shared an awful lot with us thus far in our discussion, you know, I asked you about the word success earlier. What about the word no? It's a simple <laughs> word. Does that, does that fit into your vocabulary? I love your questions. Can I just tell you that? I just love your questions. <laughs> Thank you. I had to change no. Instead of hearing no... I had to change it in my brain and hear how. Hear how. Uh, sometimes things, when people say no, it's for a really good reason, and we just don't know it yet. When we hear the word no, that's usually an indication that we have to take another route to get there. Uh, doors close all the time. But the question is, which window is open? <laughs> Uh, a perfect example, I don't think I've ever shared this, but originally I, when uh, I was graduating high school, um, I applied to a, a campus I really, really wanted to go to, and I applied as an aerospace engineer, and I was denied entrance to that particular campus. And I, I didn't know necessarily what to do. Um, I did apply to the, of the schools, one of them, which uh, was California State University, Northridge. And uh, I got into California State University, Northridge, but my degree was mathematics. It wasn't aerospace. And it wasn't aerospace at this top private institution that everyone across the country knows. And, and, and everyone across the country knows what that institution is. And so I didn't necessarily know what to do, exception to uh, go for my first semester and see if I liked it and to see if I really enjoyed the mathematics. And that was the choice to go to California State University Northridge was the best choice I could have made for my uh, for my life, and everyone's life is different. Uh, but for me, 
the job that I had was a mathematics tutor. That was my first job out of high school. And uh, I tutored people in mathematics. And that was monumental because as I sat with each one of the students tutoring them, I realized that I was looking at myself and the fears that I had in my own head towards mathematics. And as I helped the students understand the mathematics, I was helping myself as well. And we were literally both sitting down learning this together. And it was so monumental that uh, we had group tutoring programs that came through the campus. And over my five years of there, I, I, I counted and did a rough estimate that there were around 10,000 people who, who came through the doors because every single person needed mathematics to graduate. And there's maybe around 10,000 people that I helped. And in the process of helping people, two things happened. I was able to become really strong with my own skills of mathematics, and I graduated top of the class out of the 6,500 graduating class, and I was very thankful for that. But the second part of that was I was able to now pinpoint the different types of math fear people had, and that's what led me to write my book, Mathophobia. And had I not entered California State University, Northridge, I wouldn't have had that same type of experience as a mathematics major to create the book and then help people also change the way that they were looking at mathematics so they could go into the STEM, the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics fields. And, but the cherry if on the, was it the cherry on the cake, how, how does it say, or the, the cherry on the, uh, on the ice cream, <laughs> as you said, was that when I graduated, I ended up working for the Boeing Company with the aerospace engineers from the school that I ended up uh, being declined from at first. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up getting there, but it wasn't a straight line. It was a roundabout way. And I was still working as an aerospace engineer, but my degree was mathematics. And not only that, this is the best part about it was – Originally, the school that I intended to wanted to go to, which I thought was the thing that was best for me, was 10 times more in tuition than the school that I went to. And when we all graduated and we started working for the same location, we were all paid around the same amount. <laughs> so when you hear the word no, that may be a blessing in disguise. You just got to find another way to get there. Very interesting way to bring our discussion to a close. Wonderful discussion. So many different areas where we've gone in this uh, chat with uh, Olympia LaPonte on our program. She's a rocket scientist, uh, author of an um, interesting book, the title of Mathophobia, and also another book that is uh, upcoming entitled Answers Unleashed. Um, she also has been a TED speaker, college professor, shared an awful lot with us. What's an online resource or website where people can find out more about you? Oh, thank you. Uh, for direct information about me, you can always go to my direct website, olympialapointe.com. That's O-L-Y-M-P-I-A-L-E, capital P-O-I-N-T.com. You can find out all about my background there. And I have a platform to help people unleash their brain power. And if they go to AnswersUnleashed.com, they can find out about all these different tips that uh, we have out there and all these different experts that have come to help our audience understand how to change their thinking so they can change their life. And I'm very uh, honored to share that with people.
Well, thank you very much for being so kind with your time and sharing the information that you have. Certainly good luck continued with your work. And also congratulations on all these things that you've accomplished. And most importantly, your ability to maintain a sense of humor. Oh, thank you. Well, life has to be fun. I like that way of thinking. (laughs) That's hour one of our program. A lot more to get to. And another guest joins us after our top of the hour update here on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.